You see, even when the will of God doesn't make sense to us, we need to obey out of our love for the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and the one who loves me, I will be loved by my Father, and I will reveal myself to him. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are working on a study of the book of Jonah, and today Dr. Brogy concludes his message on chapter 4. The best way to fight the lies of the evil one is with the truth of the Bible. Meditating and memorizing God's Word can convict and encourage us in our everyday lives. And so our kids learn godly music, and there's something about music. I could sing some ditty from the 70s, and you could finish it. Why? Because of the power of music. And not only do they learn godly music, they learn godly scripture. This is one of the Psalms they memorize. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So let me give you some passages that I think, especially if you're plagued with guilt, that will be helpful to you, and I promise you it will be helpful to people you will minister to. Almost every, really a month ever goes by when I don't use some of these passages when people come into a pastor's office and they're plagued with guilt and failure. Jot these down, they'll be useful to you. Psalm 103, 10 to 12. He has not dealt with us, King David wrote, according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, not the north from the south, that's a fixed point. But the east from the west, infinitely, so far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Listen to Hebrews 8 in verse 12. He's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Forgiven sin that God remembers no more, of course, does not mean that he has a case of divine amnesia, but that God doesn't hold it against you any longer. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 3, 28. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be given the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Certainly, this is a verse every Christian should memorize, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or jot down this verse, Isaiah 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Listen also to what Isaiah 43, 25, God said there, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And if you're still plagued by guilt, you should memorize and imprint Isaiah 53, 5, and 6 on your soul. 
But, speaking of Messiah, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging you are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so when the devil brings up some sin in your past, don't deny it. Don't rationalize it. Face it head on. And remember, he was pierced through for that sin. That sin helped nail him to the cross. That sin helped crush him while he was on that cross. God caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And so if Jesus took the full wrath to tell us die, paid in full the punishment our sin deserves, why should we continue to punish ourselves? For that sin is what nailed him to the cross. And so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you want to listen to the accuser of the brethren, because that's his ministry to you. That's one of his great titles. The accuser of the brethren. You have to choose. But if you can't counter those lies with truth, you'll be paralyzed by them. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so you will never get off of the emotional roller coaster unless you're able to bring those emotions under the authority of Holy Scripture. Now go back to the book of Jonah. Go back to Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. I want you to see how God is trying to help his prophet by ministering truth to him, especially first with the truth that he is sovereign over everything. One of the central lessons in the prophet Jonah is the sovereignty of God that God deals with this rebellious prophet by reminding him that he's over everything. We've seen his sovereignty throughout the book, starting in chapter one, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah sovereignly, go and preach to the Ninevites and cry against that people. Then we saw his sovereignty in chapter one when God hurled a great wind on the sea. We saw his sovereignty when the sailors cast lots and providentially the lot falls to Jonah. And then we see God cause the sea to rage and they throw him overboard and it instantly is calm. And God in his sovereignty appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. He is preserved sovereignly by the Lord for three days and three nights. And then the Lord commands the fish to spit him up on dry ground. And then in chapter three, he goes and he preaches and the greatest national revival to date in the history of man happens. And people are converted, all 600,000 from the greatest to the least of them. And then we see in God's sovereignty how he relents, how he changes his mind concerning the calamity that he said he would bring on Nineveh. And then God's sovereignty in addition when he appoints a plant to create shade for Jonah. And then when God appoints a worm to eat the root so that he felt faint. And then how God in his sovereignty sends this Sirocco, this hot wind and the sun beats down on Jonah's head. Talk about a sovereign God. And one of the problems with modern evangelicalism is we've replaced the truth about God with psychobabble. And so people are no longer consistently, faithfully taught the word of God. And the problem is, is that Christians are being taught more and more to experience a certain feeling. I mean, I call every visitor if they'll give me permission to on their guest card. 
I've talked to thousands in 30 plus years. And I've heard people say, well, I love your church. Why? It makes me feel good. And a lady yesterday, I don't like your church. Why? It doesn't make me feel good. What does it have to do with feelings? And so our worship services are designed with black lights and smoke and color and, and songs that are theologically bankrupt to get people to worship their feelings. They come here for some kind of a spiritual buzz, but not to worship the living God. But listen, you know, you don't obey based on feelings. When you don't feel like reading the Bible, do you not read it? When you don't feel like praying, do you not pray? When you don't feel like sharing your faith, do you not share it? There are a lot of times when you don't feel like doing something. I mean, you tell your son, son, I want you to go and clean that room, and you need to do it now, and you need to do a good job. And he comes back and says, oh, Dad, I don't feel like it. And you're thinking, what does feelings have anything to do with it? I'm your sovereign dad, and it doesn't matter how you feel. Get in there and clean up your room. And God is our sovereign God. And he wants us to understand how great and how sovereign he is. And he asks a simple question. Do you have good reason to be angry? God is asking Jonah whether he has a right to be angry over how he thinks things should have unfolded or whether God is a sovereign God as great as he is, did it right. He's basically saying, Jonah, we're looking at the same event from two entirely different perspectives. I am thrilled the angels in heaven are thrilled, but you're angry. And so whenever God asks a question, it's often to bring our thoughts, our feelings in line with his person. Paul will say, let God be found true and every man be found a liar. Now, that's God's ministry through his sovereign giving. But now I want you to see how God ministers to Jonah by his gracious taking. He sovereignly grows up a plant But I want you to see his gracious taking, beginning now in verse 7. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. This time, God appoints a, a worm, and being the gracious God that he is, he waits until dawn, until his prophet has a good night's sleep. So God orders the worm to eat the root, and the plant withers. Now, it's kind of interesting On the one hand, God uses an incredibly big fish to display his sovereignty, and now an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little worm. It's actually the Hebrew word for fruit grub. But not only did this provide a pleasant shelter, now God takes away what he was rejoicing is, because we'll see next time his perspective is warped. God takes it away. And not only does he kill the plant, the text says he appointed a scorching east wind. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. This is what they call to this day in the Middle East as Sirocco. Those hot desert winds that come off the Sahara Desert into the Middle Eastern part. It was a burning hot heat. And he's faint. And I suppose in one sense, God has just given him a faint taste 
the horrors of hell. But let me just say, when our priorities are off, and we'll unfold that more, we'll complain, we'll grumble over things that are really not important at all. I mean, after 9-11, there was a great disaster in our nation, and the churches were filled for about three weeks. And people were grateful, I've got so much to be thankful for, you know. Think of the terrible fate of those people. And then a few days go by, a few months. It's back to the same old grumbling about God. Think about the very last thing I thought about this. What was the very last thing I grumbled about? What difference will that thing you just grumbled about yesterday make 100 years from now? People are dying and going to hell, and we're worried about vines. And I'm begging people to be a part of the Easter Blitz, and we don't want to be inconvenienced. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And please notice the intensity of his prayer. And begged with all his soul to die, saying, Lord, death is better to me than life. In verse 6, he was very grateful about the plant. The first time in the whole book, it says he's extremely happy. Now he says, death is better to me than life. This is the identical statement he said the day before, recorded in verse 3. In fact, it's the only unanswered prayer in the entire book. In chapter 1, there was prayer and fear with the sailors, and God answered their prayer. In chapter 2, there was prayer and faith on behalf of Jonah in the belly of the great fish, and God answered his prayer. In chapter 3, there was the prayer and fasting of the Ninevites, and God answered their prayer. And now here in chapter 4, there's prayer and foolishness, and God doesn't answer. Now, we cannot help but notice that God appointed a great fish, that God appointed a plant, a worm, a wind, and they all obeyed God. Everything in the book obeys God. Even the Ninevites, everybody, everything, except Jonah. By the way, have you ever thanked God for unanswered prayer? (laughs) I thank God for some of the moronic things I asked him for, and thank God he didn't answer He became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Why doesn't God answer his prayer? Because it's not God's will and God's not finished with his prophet. Sure, he completed the incredible task of delivering the message of salvation to the Ninevites, but God's not simply interested in using you as an instrument to bring conversion. He's interested in you. And so here is this rebellious, rather obnoxious prophet asking for a very foolish request, and God says no because God loves him. See, he needs to have his emotions brought into the reality that not only is God sovereign, but God is gracious. And so God in this chapter is highlighting both his grace and his sovereignty And we'll explore that even more next time. Let's talk about how we're going to apply this this morning. Let me suggest three applications as we close our time off. Number one, 
We need to trust God's wisdom and sovereignty even when it does not make sense to us. We need to trust God's wisdom and sovereignty even when it doesn't make sense. Now, obviously, Jonah cannot understand why God would want to save the wicked Ninevites when he had already revealed through three contemporaries, Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos, that someday he would use the Ninevites as his disciplinary instrument to judge Israel. Why do you want to save those wicked people? And it made no sense to him. And he couldn't grasp the wisdom of God. He couldn't accept God's mercy and God's grace upon the Ninevites as being the right thing. Is he not a picture of us sometimes? There are times when God doesn't do what we think he should have done and we're upset. God, why did you let this trial happen to my family? God, why did you take my child? Why did you take my grandchild? Why did my wife jettison me? Why did my husband commit adultery and marry some other woman? Why did this happen to me? Don't you care? And sometimes we don't really believe that God is sovereign. That even in the midst of man's sin and wickedness, that he knows what he is about. I draw a second lesson from this chapter. It is our lack of love for God that creates a lack of love for the souls of other people. It's obvious from this book that Jonah lacked love for the people of Nineveh. I mean, even when they turn from their sin, does he want to stay and teach and consolidate the work? He just wants to quit on that hillside. I understand what Jonah's reasoning was initially, and we covered it in the first of these series of 10 messages. But understand, this man's real problem is not that someday God's going to use the Ninevites to judge Israel. His real problem is his lack of love for the Lord. You see, even when the will of God doesn't make sense to us, we need to obey out of our love for the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, the one who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and the one who loves me, I will be loved by my Father, and I will reveal myself to him. Had Jonah fervently and actively been loving the Lord, he wouldn't have disobeyed and fled the presence of the Lord. I mean, does a man flee from his wife when he's in love with his wife? Does a woman abandon or abort her children when she's in love with her children? Remember what Jesus asked Peter after he denied him three times? Simon, son of John, do you love me? The great problem with many Christians today is their lack of love for God. Remember when Jesus on that one occasion is asked what the greatest of all the commandments is? He quotes the Shema in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Remember the indictment Jesus gave against the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2? But I have this against you. You have left your first love. And this is why there is such disregard and disdain and disobedience for the great commission that God has given every believer to take to the world. is because it's a lack of sincere, genuine love for Jesus Christ. 
Third, I learned from this portion of Scripture, the basis for our love and acceptance of others is based on God's love and acceptance of us. Our love for others is predicated to God's love for us. Think about what Jonah is doing here. I mean, if God had dealt with Jonah the same way he wanted God to deal with the Ninevites, where would Jonah be? (laughs) He'd be drowned in the bottom of the Mediterranean. And we say, God, bless me, be gracious to me, but zap them. Remember, we deserve hell. Our righteous deeds are as dirty rags. Not our unrighteous deeds, not our bad works, but our best works are so tainted with sin, God can even say our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And so God in Christ does an exchange. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so God takes our sin, lays it on Christ. When you come to Christ, he credits you with his righteousness. And so as we were reminded on Wednesday night through Dr. Fletcher, God loves you as much as he loves his own son. Because your standing is in Christ. We love because he first loved us. And it's an unconditional love. And if you really believe that truth, then that's the basis by which you need to accept your spouse. That's the reason you need to accept your children. You may not like what your children do, but you want to be careful that you do not communicate, especially to children who are growing up in your home, much less adult children. I I will love you if, if you act this certain way. That's paralyzing. That's like sulfuric acid in their spiritual tank. Our spirit should be, I love you no matter what, because that's how God loves us in Christ. Listen, if God dealt with us according to our iniquities, we would be hopelessly lost. One of the great misconceptions of Christianity is that God had to incarnate himself so that we could be saved. Nothing could be further from the truth. God didn't have to do anything. God didn't have any debts to pay. God didn't have to become a man. Though he became a man, and it was only through the incarnation that he could save us, God had no obligations. That's the nature of grace. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. God had zero debts to pay. The only thing he owed us was the wrath that our sin deserves. My wife and I were in California last year, and my, the drug problem amongst homeless people. You drive down the street, and it's just everywhere. And now it's coming through our southern border, and You know, we're not protecting our southern border. That's part of what makes a nation a nation. The book of Acts teaches that God himself established borders. And they say the Chinese are now lacing marijuana and other drugs with fentanyl. And you go to some cities in New Hampshire and they say on every street there's people with drug problems. We saw these homeless people and people would walk by them and they'd They're just everywhere, and they'd look at them in disgust like they're just a bunch of derelicts. (laughs) And I think that was someone's precious baby one day. They held that little child one day. And what happened? 
Listen, if your parents were in tune and they loved you unconditionally and raised you in the things of the Lord, you have so much to be thankful for. You've been given much. But there go I, by the grace of God, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Ephesians 2.8 now? You should have it memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Who is that written to? Saved or lost people? Saved. Now, most often we apply it to the lost, and justifiably so, to help them to understand how God forgives people. Understand, when Paul writes that letter, he's not trying to get the Ephesians saved. They're already saved. In that magnificent chapter, he is contrasting what we are by nature and what God has made us by grace. Why? Because these people who had already received the grace of God, who were already saved, needed to grow in that magnificent grace. And so if you've been saved by grace, are you growing in grace? Do you have a clean heart where the word of God can take root and you're hungering and thirsting daily after the things of God so that you can become the man or woman or teenager and even little boy or girl that God wants you to be? If you've never met the grace of God, if you've never received God's grace, I invite you today to do so. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed, you're here and you're not sure that you'd go to heaven. You want to be sure, but you're not sure. Well, typically the Bible means that means you've never been saved. Listen, you're only saved once. Just like there's only one physical birth, there's only one spiritual birth. And you may be doubting in the back of your heart whether or not you are really going to heaven because you're not sure you're good enough. Well, God says you're not, you never can be. And that's why he sent his son for the great exchange. He took all of your sin, past, present, and future, and he laid it on Christ. And when you come in simple, childlike faith, for those things you know are evil and wrong that need to be forgiven and changed, the Bible calls that repentance, and you put your faith where God put your sin on Christ, that resurrected Savior in an instant of time will save you, but you must call upon him in faith, knowing that God cannot lie, for whoever will call on his name will be saved. And if you believe what God promised, the scripture teaches you'll be 100%, because you know God is able to do that, which he said. Would you say in simple childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. Now, Father, as we study this prophet, we see a lot of Jonah in us. And thank you for this seminary experience that you're giving us as we're able to join Jonah as you take him through this, these courses on attitude, consistency, and perspective. Do in us that which would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Although much of the popularity of the book of Jonah is due to the miraculous account of the whale, it is also because he is relatable in his struggle with obedience. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting the program Jonah 009. Maybe you want to listen to Dr. Brogy's messages or series offline, in the car or on a walk. You can do that by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found on the Apple and Google Play Store. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen to anywhere, anytime. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl will begin the first part of his concluding message of his study in the book of Jonah. Join us then as we search the scriptures.